Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness. It's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Welcome to Vitality Radio. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you again on another exciting episode of this show. I um, This is a, a real treat for me because every so often I go and see this guy personally for my own uh, health needs, for the things that I don't feel I can quite figure out without the assistance of uh, blood work and someone who knows how to actually analyze said blood work. And of course, he was on the show just a month or so ago talking about testosterone. Today, I've got Dr. Todd Cameron uh, from Cameron Wellness in Mill Creek, Utah on the show again. And we're going to talk about thyroid. Dr. Cameron, welcome back to Vitality Radio. Hey, Jared. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I am really intrigued about this episode, not so much about what I might learn because you and I have had this conversation in detail on multiple uh, occasions, although every time I talk to you, I learn something new, uh, but about what my response will be from people listening to the show, because I believe that most of what you're going to say is going to, uh, I'll say, uh, be news uh, to them uh, based on what they've probably heard or read before. So this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, before we start, for people that didn't hear the last episode, we had a long talk, and I want this to be much more brief, uh, just as a quick uh, uh, catch up for those folks that didn't hear about reference ranges when it comes to uh, blood work. Uh, so can you tell us just your basic uh, philosophy on what the reference range or the normal range really is. I can sum it up in one sentence. Normal does not equal optimal. Whether it's testosterone, whether it's thyroid, normal is a statistical entity and it does exist in certain blood work for sure, you know, like your red blood cell count or your white blood cell count or your whatever. But when it comes to free T3, which is triiodothyronine, which is the active form of of thyroid and when it comes to something like testosterone there really is no such thing as a normal range normal does not equal optimal that's the basics and it's safe to say that uh the range is a little different for all of us in terms of what would feel optimal yes because the it, there are so many variables that go into how the t3 actually works at the cellular level and you know that's maybe where i should start is to break it down into like how how do they teach us to assess this? Well, that was right? actually going to be my next question. So what, what did you learn in medical school? Yeah, well, and nursing school. So, I mean, because I've been through both and they teach you the same stuff. Thyroid stimulating hormone is a hormone that comes from the brain to stimulate the thyroid, which is lower down in your throat than most people think. It's right above your collarbones. Well, thyroid stimulating hormone is a stimulatory hormone. So let me ask you, Jared, if I wanted to know what your testosterone was, do you think I would study your stimulatory hormone from your brain to stimulate your testes, human chorionic gonadotropin? No, I'd study your thyroid or your testosterone. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to know what your adrenal glands were doing, would I study adenocorticotropic hormone from the brain? No, I would study your cortisol or your epinephrine. 
right? Your adrenaline and to see how you, you know, well, then why is it with thyroid that we're measuring a stimulatory hormone from the brain to the thyroid and we're basing our assessment and treatment on that? So when I got out of med school, I stopped doing that because I started meeting mentors that could teach me other ways of assessment. So the whole premise and the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists, AACE, they're the ones that set the standard of care. And that standard of care is adopted by board certified family practice med docs, board certified internal medicine docs. Um, they even taught me in medical school, the same thing. But what if it doesn't work? What if it's not accurate enough? Well, they don't talk about that because the goal of treatment is to get your your thyroid stimulating hormone within normal range. Well, wait a minute. Did you ask the patient how they felt? Doc, I was tired in the morning, tired in the afternoon, a general sense of fatigue, lethargy. What's that guy's name? Where did I put my keys? Where did I walk? Why did I walk into this room? What did that paragraph say? And why is my give a crap meter kind of sliding down? And then when I take thyroid hormone, it's either going to get better or worse, right? Depending on if you're taking the right stuff or the wrong stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're taking the wrong stuff and you start feeling worse and you go back to your doc, your doc's going to go, hey, your, your thyroid stimulating hormones in normal range. So it's not your thyroid. But doc, I feel like crap. Well, yeah, you know, it's probably because God built you with a Prozac deficiency. So here's some <laughs> Prozac and we'll fix you. Well, I, I don't do that. I, I can't do that because it doesn't work most of the time. It just doesn't work. So let's get into that just a little bit. Since we're talking about blood tests, first off, we're talking about TSH, as you mentioned, thyroid stimulating hormone. That comes from the pituitary gland. Is that correct? That is correct. So, so we're essentially studying what's happening at the pituitary level to try and determine what's happening at the thyroid level, which I would tend to agree doesn't make a lot of sense. So we have that. But the thyroid stimulating hormone, if someone were to take uh, levothyroxine, which is the uh, Synthroid, right? That the, the, the most typical prescription, is that accurate for thyroid in America? And that's what they teach us. To, if, if, you're, if we assess your thyroid stimulating hormone and it is considered high, mm -hmm. and in a lab core, that would mean 0 0.45 to 4.5. So that would mean if you were 4.6 or above, that you would be considered to have a higher than normal thyroid stimulating hormone, which you should as a physician, assess that as being a sluggish thyroid function. Mm -hmm. Then we're taught to use levothyroxine synthroid, which is T4 only. And the assumption is that we all, so T4 is not very biologically active, but that's the major portion of thyroid hormone that we make. I mean, the thyroid pumps out more T4 than T1, 2, or 3, okay? but it's not really biologically active and the body knows that. So the body's got to convert it mostly in the liver, but elsewhere, you know, there's, it does it in other cells. It has to convert it from T4 to T3. And it does so by removing one of the iodines. Well, T3 is very biologically active. And if you guys out there can just consider all of your mitochondrial energy production from tip to tail as a symphony orchestra of energy production, you need a conductor and that conductor is free unbound T3, not T4. So when they give you T4, there's this great assumption that everybody converts T4 to T3 and Bob's your uncle. 
And it's like, Jared, okay, let me ask you, give me one example. All all I'm looking for is one example of a living system whose biochemical and physiological function in any area is stable and steady all the time. (laughs) Give me one example. Yeah, not, not aware of one. No, because there isn't one. So why is it that they teach us that T4 gets converted to T3 and Bob's your uncle, you don't have to worry about it. It's like, no, wait a minute. You know, we were talking about stress before, right? We can mm-hmm. get into that in a moment. But there are a lot of reasons why somebody wouldn't necessarily convert to T3 optimally, right? But if you're not asking the patient how they're feeling, and what their energy is like and how their cognitive ability is and, you know, their sharpness of thought and all that. If, if, if you're not communicating with the patient and all you're doing is pulling the blood and looking at the, the, the TSH, you're not doing anybody any favors at all. You're, you're not, you are not assessing the patient. You're assessing a number of TSH, which is a stimulatory hormone. And it may work, but 90 plus percent of the time it doesn't work but the doctor doesn't tell you it's not working because your TSH is within normal range. Cause I just gave you T4. It's, so then it's, it's really ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like it. And interestingly enough, before I ever had this conversation with you, which has been years ago now, I wondered the same thing, but I didn't have the you know technical background that you have to try and figure out if I was right. But what my thought was, why are we studying a pituitary hormone to determine thyroid function? And so that always made sense to me, especially when I had, clients at Vitality Nutrition coming in saying, Jared, I'm on Synthroid, but all the thyroid, low thyroid symptoms are still here. What do I do next? And I'm thinking to myself, well, the Synthroid, if you're not feeling it, the Synthroid must not be working. So then, you know, where do we go from here? And since that time, I've sent a whole lot of people out to you to say, you know, why don't you see if you can figure out what's actually going on with your thyroid? So let's just uh, wrap up that little segment with this. Because I want to make sure people understand, if you take uh, Synthroid or Levothyroxine, which is T4, pure T4, then will is it likely in most cases that your TSH level will normalize? Yes. Okay. It so would, on the blood that, work, it'll look right. Yes. Okay. Yes. All but right. But in your body and how you're feeling and what your mitochondrial energy production is, is may not be working very well at all. Right. So uh, it'll look good in the blood, but it won't be good in reality. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. 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 People listen. The thyroid pumps out T1, 2, 3, 4. Like I've said, everybody knows that it mostly makes T4. Uh, T4 then has to convert to T3 to be biologically active in the body. However, there are about five or six or seven reasons why there's a, there's another molecule called reverse T3, which most doctors don't trust. They don't like, they call it a lousy test. And the only reason I can figure out why anybody calls it a lousy test is because they don't know how to interpret it. So think of it this way. It's the simplest way I can explain it to my patients. T3 is a right-handed molecule. Reverse T3 is a left-handed molecule. They look the same, except for one is right and one is left. It's only the right-handed molecule, T3, free, unbound T3, that can go to the cell and dock 
with the nuclear receptor site at the DNA because that's where it actually docks. So think of that as a, as a right-handed glove. That's the simplest way I can put it. It's only the right hand that can go down and dock with the right-handed glove. The left hand can't do it. And I won't go into detail because it's kind of fancy, but essentially at the end of the day, if the left-handed molecule is present, it decreases the efficacy of the right-handed molecule. You can kind of think of it, it doesn't work exactly like this, but the way I explain it is the left-handed molecule is blocking the right-handed molecule from getting there. And the main reason that anybody would convert, not the only reason, but the main reason why anybody would overconvert uh, T4 to reverse T3 is stress. So, and this is something I want you guys to understand that I am not making this up. I am a data-driven doctor. I look at the numbers and if they're actionable, I act on those numbers and they're not always correct. But what I do with thyroid is 95% accurate, okay? I look at relationships and we can go into that in a moment. But before 2016, I saw very few people uh, overconverting to reverse T3. Since 2016, I now see probably over 90% of my new patients are overconverting to reverse T3. When I first witnessed this, I had two residents at the time in my clinic and we were all three seeing patients and we're open six days a week. Well, in one week we found six new patients overconverting to reverse T3. At that time, I think I'd been in practice for 19 years or so. Now it's my 26th year. I had never seen that before. And the next week, at the end of the week, I'm not making this up, this is data, 10 new patients, count them, 10. The third week, on Wednesday afternoon, we found our fourth patient, and it struck me suddenly that it actually started with the presidential campaign of 2016. There was something in that whole week that just shoved everybody into stress overdrive and everybody started to overconvert to reverse T3. So my new, my now new normal is to find a new patient who is overconverting to reverse T3 and blocking T3. Now I ask you a very simple question. You go to your doctor, your TSH is a little bit above normal. They put you on Synthroid, which is T4 only. You happen to be overconverting to reverse T3 that they don't know about because they don't check. And they give you levothyroxine or Synthroid, which is T4 only, you overconvert it to reverse T3 and start feeling worse. And you come back to your doctor and say, this stuff is killing me, man. I, why, I, I don't like it. And they're saying, oh no, but it's working. See, your TSH is within normal range. Can you guys see how crazy this is? Yeah, well, it's they're looking at part of the data and not all of the data. It's really as simple as that, it sounds like to me. They don't know how to read. So people think I'm a really smart guy. Guys, if I have an original thought, like I told you before, I'll tell you. I'll be the first one to say, no, no, this is my original thought. Everything, <laughs> everything I'm telling you guys I got from my mentors after I got out of school, going into residency and picking my own mentors, I, it, this is not coming from me. This, I'm just channeling my data through my mentors, okay? Mm -hmm. So then with, with a typical blood test that's done uh, in a typical doctor's office based on what's been taught in medical school, 
is the, is the only thyroid marker that they're looking at TSH? No, sometimes they'll they'll run what they call a thyroid panel. Okay. Um, I don't do that. I haven't done it for years. I did it when I got out of med school because that's what I was taught to do. Mm-hmm. But and you get like you get all these numbers. You get a total T4, and sometimes they do a total T3, and sometimes they do a T3 uptake, and and they do in, different labs have a little bit different panels, but they're all basically the same. So my question to one of some of my mentors when I was first like searching for answers, uh, this is back in the latter 90s, um, my first, it's like when I run a thyroid quote unquote panel based on what the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists tells me I should do, what number in there is actionable? Like what number in that panel tells me does the patient need to be treated? What shall I be treating the patient with? Mm-hmm. None of those numbers, or few of them, uh, give you that information. And that's why I don't run them. I run, I will run a TSH like once. Theoretically, I'm supposed to run it once a year. Okay, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'll run it once at first, but only to find out if the patient is in quote unquote clinical hypothyroidism versus subclinical or functional hypothyroidism. So in my charts, the term in in my assessment, when I'm taking notes, you will read very clearly, it's either going to say clinical hypothyroidism because the TSH is high, or it will say functional hypothyroidism or subclinical hypothyroidism. Now, I will also note in my assessment, if the person is in reverse T3 syndrome. And these days, most of my notes say functional hypothyroidism slash reverse T3 syndrome, because that's what's happening. And these individuals will respond, 95% of these individuals will respond very positively to T3 only therapy, lyothyronine. I encourage those of you out there that are wanting to more, have more information on this, to go to YouTube and watch Dr. Weston, T-I-N, Weston Childs. He's a DO, he's, he's a doctor of osteopathy, and he and I, we've never met, uh, I'd like to meet him someday, but he and I think rather clearly, uh, similarly, sorry, and, uh, and, and he has a much greater YouTube presence than I do. I, you know, so he, he can teach you a lot about what I'm talking about. And he does, he, ha, he has really simple, like two, three, four, five minute uh, episodes or whatever you call them. And, and then of course he'll do like 30, 40 minutes and he'll interview physicians and stuff like that. And it's really, but it, it, it will, it will start to make sense to you because like Jared and I have been talking about this for years I talk about this all day long, every day to all my patients. So it makes complete and total sense to me, but my patients, they'll ask me the same questions three, four, five, six times. And that's fine because when the patient finally is ready to understand what I'm telling them, they'll come and they'll ask me, they'll get me on the phone, whatever, and ask me the question for like the fourth time or the fifth time. And it's like, now they're ready to to hear what I have to say and to understand and why is it they're feeling better when they're taking something that their other doctor says they shouldn't be taking. Right. Well, you, you have to unlearn some things sometimes before you can learn some new things. And I will say you actually, for the first time, just, I think last time I saw you, 
I, I think it was the last time, uh, told me about uh, that the doctor on YouTube. What, what, is, what is it, Weston? Weston, W-E-S-T-I-N, Weston Childs. Childs, yeah. And again, I, I he and I don't know each other. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like hopefully someday to meet him and maybe, you know, talk with him. Uh, but no, I'm just, I, I, I refer to him because, as you know, Jared, both of us do this. I, I spend a fair bit of time uh, on YouTube doing things like listening to doctors discuss different dietary intake strategies mm -hmm. or different, you know, thyroid strategies or whatever. And I try and approach it from a non-judgmental position because I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in, in what they have to say. Right. And, and I learn, you know, I, I've learned quite a bit from Dr. Childs because, uh, uh, you know, you 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 will too when you when you learn from him. But yeah, I was actually going to say after you told me, I, I I think I watched six or seven videos uh, from him in the next couple of days, and it, it is it's he he does a, he has a really good way of laying it out in a, a, a detailed but simple to understand fashion. Yes. I, I was very impressed with it. So we'll actually link to a couple of his videos in the in the show description so people can easily find him okay, uh, because I think that information is really, really valuable. Okay. So I think we kind of have an idea on what we're talking about as far as these different uh, hormones, thyroid hormones. Um, let's talk about thyroid, hypothyroidism itself. Uh, what if someone suspects that maybe they're dealing with hypothyroidism or even prior to that, they just don't feel that great. Uh, energy is low, uh, all of these types of things that are sometimes associated with that. What should people be asking themselves or analyzing in their own, uh, in, in their you know daily life that would indicate that maybe they should be looking deeper at thyroid? Uh, as, a, as a preamble, I can tell you, and this is not an exaggeration, in the past, I don't know, year, maybe two years, the number of people, new, new patients that we have studied their free T4, free T3, reverse T3, sometimes the antibodies, the number of patients that have been optimal is zero. Wow. Zero. The number of patients in the last 18 months that have had an optimal free testosterone, one. Wow. So what people will experience is one or more of the following. But but before I even go through the list again, I, I alluded to it before. But before I do it again, understand that the average individual is not paying attention. And so they don't have a frame of reference, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, I mean, I feel okay. I, well, what am I supposed to feel? I mean, and, I and I will say the average man, especially women yeah. tend to pay a lot more attention. More attention. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the things that I tell my patients. One or more of the following tired in the morning, tired in the afternoon, a general sense of fatigue, lethargy. What's that guy's name? Where did I put my keys? Where did I park my car? Why did I walk in this room? What did that paragraph just say? And why, like I said before, is my give a crap meter just kind of, you know, and why is the sky not as blue as it used to be? And why is the grass not as green? And it's like, you know, it's just, I'm lethargic. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I, I can get up and cook breakfast. I can go to work. I can come home. I can, you know, watch a movie and go to sleep. I mean, I'm okay, but am I optimal? No. Do I feel like I did when I was 10, 11, 12 years old running around outside? Uh-uh. I don't feel like that anymore. Well, there's a reason for that. And it's not just aging. It's, you know, 
chemicals in our environment. It's stress. Uh, like I previously alluded to, is stress is the main reason, not the only reason, of course, but it's the main reason why somebody would overconvert from T4 to reverse T3, blocking T3 from working at the cellular level. But who looks at that? And why would you bother? Because your TSH is okay. I mean, it's any kind of, uh, so, so when you think mitochondria, mitochondrial energy, mitochondria is a little organelle that exists in most cells, not all cells, but most cells from tip to tail. Um, and that's where all the fancy Krebs cycle, ATP, high energy bonds, everything, you know, that you have to pass in biochemistry. That's the business end of energy production, whether it's energy in the brain to think clearly, whether it's energy in the muscles to lift a weight, whether it's energy in the digestive system to digest or the heart to beat, it doesn't matter. If you're a mitochondrium in a cell, your job is to produce energy. Well, that whole system is dependent on T3. It's dependent on free, unbound T3. And if, so, so the, the symptoms and the signs and the symptoms, there's also signs, weight gain. Uh, you can't, you guys can't really see because you're on the radio, but if you were to look at my eyebrows, you'd see that the lateral one third of my eyebrows is very thin. That's a clear sign of hypothyroidism. Um, Achilles tendon reflexes are another sign. So, I mean, I could, I won't go into this anymore, but I mean, there's, if, if you know what to look for and you know what questions to ask, you're going to discover that 99% of the people that you interact with, they have an issue with suboptimal thyroid hormone function at the cell. The reasons can be different, but the signs and symptoms are all relatively the same. Uh, and, and, and they're basically what I just went through. And, and All right. So then I'm curious, why do you think it's almost universal then? Thank you for asking that. Uh, for those of you that are my age-ish, I just turned 68. Uh, one of my first mentors that I personally chose was a doctor by the name of Dr. Broda Barnes. He's no, no longer with us. He gained his wings many years ago. But uh, he, if any of you remember, he's, he's infamous <laughs> for the basal body temperature method of assessment thyroid function. Mm, okay. I did that for about five years and I drove myself crazy and I drove all my patients crazy and they drove themselves crazy. And then I learned other ways of doing it. And so I don't do that anymore. My point is, is that one of the biggest lessons I learned from Dr. Barnes, and you're going to have, I'll, I'll do this quickly, but I've been observing this for 26 years now and I'm convinced that he is correct. So we know that the average age of a human being at death has been coming up. We have Paleolithic record. We've got written record back to at least Mesopotamia. So we know the average age of death, not the extreme age of death, because there's always going to be some Methuselah out there. Okay. But, but the average age. Um, so that means if you go back 5,000 years, you're going to meet individuals that lived to adolescence, they donated their genes to the gene pool. And those of you listening to us and me and Jared, or Jared and I, sorry, mom, um, <laughs> are, are recipients of those genes, right? Well, but 500 years before that, some of that population would have passed in infancy. They would not have made it. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you fast forward to our time, our temptation is to say, hey, 
we're living longer. Therefore, our our genes, you know, our thyroid stuff is working better. Everything's working better. It's like, no. In fact, we are living longer, but not healthier. We are living longer because John Crapper invented the flush toilet. And Clara Barton, the mother of modern nursing, told doctors to wash their hands in between patients in the Civil War. And we mm-hmm. discovered penicillin and surgical techniques. And, you know, so and we have refrigerators now and, and like a place to live and cars to drive around in. That's why we're living longer. And by the way, we're not living longer, healthier. Jared, just go to his shop and talk to people that come in. <laughs> so what that means is if we went out there right now and gathered and polled people and we polled until we had exactly 1,000 people, all of whom can say, my doctors have done my blood work and they have said, quote, my thyroid is normal. Okay, then we take their blood, those thousand people, and we run one test. That's free, unbound T3, active form of thyroid hormone. Now, we bell curve it, we 90th percentile it, and the average individual is going to have a free T3, active form of hormone in between, well, lab core number, 2 to 4.4 picograms per milliliter. Okay, well, think about that on a speedometer graph. Two is zero miles an hour. 4.4 is 100 miles an hour. So a normal range would be in between zero and 100 miles an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Dr. Barnes would say, well, there's nothing wrong with your math, but the group of people, the cohort, what, what they call cohort in science, your group of people you just studied, they're all suboptimal. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so it brings the normal range down. Same thing with testosterone. So optimal range would be above 100 miles an hour, guys it would be above 4.4. It wouldn't be 2.3 or 3. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be ridiculously low. But it's in normal range. So the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists say, you're fine. Yep. And, and maybe the thing that I, I think I said this the last time I talked to you, but maybe the thing that I hear more than anything else from uh, clients of mine who are frustrated with their health is that, the doctor says all of my blood work is in the normal range. Why do I feel this crappy? Normal doesn't equal optimal. Yep. I'm my whole practice is about optimal. Has has very very little to do with normal. Yeah. Well, you're one of the least normal people I've ever met, so it works out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just briefly talk about the other side even though uh, we don't see this nearly as often. Hyperthyroidism a thyroid that's overactive. Uh, what does that look like? And, um, and why does that happen? Graves disease and, uh, Hashimoto's, um, and Hashimoto's usually nine times out of 10 ends up being hypothyroidism as well. It can be both hyper and hypo at first for reasons I won't go into today, but Graves disease is hyperthyroidism and it's, basically caused by the, uh, it's an autoimmune issue that's affecting the thyroid and the thyroid is just pumping out way too much thyroid hormone. And if any of you have ever watched uh, Young Frankenstein with Gene Wilder and uh, Marty Feldman was Igor, okay? Marty Feldman is a, was a uh, English comedian and he had Graves' disease. And you notice people with Graves' disease the fat builds up behind their eyes 
and it pushes the eye forward. So they look like they have huge eyes. Well, no, they don't. They have normal eyes. It's just that the eyes are farther forward mm -hmm. in their skull. And uh, Marty died of a heart attack, you know, so Graves disease is going to make your bones disappear over time and make your heart weak because you're, you're working everything way, 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 way too hard. And it's an autoimmune issue, but it, it's actually quite easily dealt with um, either by there's, there's two drugs that you can use. Neither one of them work very well and they have kind of bad side effects. So, you know, ablation of the thyroid or thyroid removal is it's, it's a lot easier to treat hypothyroidism, whether it's from thyroidectomy or for whatever reason, it's a lot easier to he treat hypothyroidism than it is to treat, quote unquote, Graves disease or hyperthyroidism. But it's interesting to note that one of the reasons why this whole TSH thing gets so much attention is, you know, if you're treating a patient with any form of thyroid medication, usually what happens 95% of the time is their thyroid stimulating hormone comes down. Now, what the AACE will say is you don't want to bring it down too low. You want it to be within normal range. Again, we discussed that, and that's rather ridiculous. Mm -hmm. but, the re but the reason why doctors are afraid of a low TSH, um, so if I'm treating somebody with T3-only therapy and their TSH goes below 0 0.45, it goes down to 0 0.05 or something like that. If they go to see another doctor, the doctor will say, oh, my gosh, you're taking way too much hormone. You got to stop that hormone. Uh, first of all, you got to stop the T3 and get on T4 if you need it at all. But you definitely have to cut your dose down because you're you're taking too much. Your heart's going to explode and your bones are going to dissolve. And it's like, okay, well, let's look at that for a moment. First of all, did you ask the patient how they felt? Did you say, is your pulse rate high? Do you feel feelings of too much caffeine? No, doc, I feel great. Well, okay. So in Graves' disease, it's not the TSH being low that's dangerous. There's nowhere in the scientific literature that says that a low TSH is dangerous. Graves' disease is dangerous. Mm -hmm. But a low TSH is an association. And what doctors unwittingly do, and scientists too, if they're not careful, is they take association as causation. No, there's a big difference between association and causation. And so when I'm treating people with hormone and their TSH goes very, very low, I don't care because I'm going to ask them, look, do you feel like you drank a monster drink and you're shaking out of your skin and your heart rate's beating? And, and it's like, no, I don't feel like that. I feel really good. Do you have a smartwatch? Yeah. Keep control, keep, keep track of your pulse before and after you dose yourself with your thyroid. Your smartwatch will tell you if you're taking too much because your pulse will jump up five to 10 beats per minute. And it's like, okay, well, if you're not being active and you're sitting on your butt at your computer working and you took your medication and it went up that high, it's likely for that four to six hour period of time, you're taking too much hormone. And I, that's, that, that gets into fine tuning. And I don't, I won't go into that in this podcast, but, but I, I coach my, my patients once they get to what we call base dose, then I start talking to them about fine tuning and that that gets into detail that I won't go into right now. 
All right. So uh, before we go on, uh, because I actually realized I didn't mention this at the top of the show anyway, if you have questions about anything you're hearing, whether you're on the radio or the podcast, uh, give us a call at Vitality Nutrition. It's 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. You can also jump on our site, vitalitynutrition.com. In the, sh- the show notes, the, the uh, show description on your podcast app, uh, of course, we have our contact information. We'll also have Dr. Cameron's contact information. And if you call Vitality Nutrition, uh, you, we have uh, all of his information there if you'd like to reach out to his clinic uh, in Salt Lake City. All right. So the next question I have then, because you briefly mentioned it, but it's the flip side of Graves, would be Hashimoto's. Uh, I've heard so many different things about Hashimoto's from so many different sources. Um, I've I, And one of the things that uh, I've heard from some naturopathic sources is that Hashimoto's is far too underdiagnosed, that it's happening a lot more than we think. What's your take on that? Uh, I would agree with that. Um, and... It's a simple diagnosis. All you got to do is run the antibodies. But the mistake most doctors do, because this is what they teach us in med school, is just run one antibody. It's called thyroid peroxidase antibody. TPO is how it appears on the lab. Um, This all comes back to Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance. Uh, When I started practicing 26 years ago, when when I ordered a comprehensive metabolic panel, I got like 27 different items. Now I get 14 and they wow. still call it, and they still call it a comprehensive metabolic panel. My point is, is that, um, and, and it's been years since I looked into the stats on this, so I could be wrong, but w- when I looked into it, I want to say 80 to 85% of patients with Hashimoto's will have a TPO antibody that's high, but 10 to 15 to maybe 20% of people will have TPO antibodies normal, but thyroglobulin antibody side. They still have Hashimoto's. So I all, if I'm going to run them, you know, like if I do a, an exam on somebody and I feel that they're asymmetrical or, the, or they have a little swelling down here around their thyroid or if they have family history of, uh, of autoimmune issues, I'm going to run their TPO and TG, thyroid peroxidase and thyroglobulin antibodies, both of them. Because I've found over the years, I've found plenty of people that had a normal thyroid peroxidase antibodies, but only high TG antibodies. And it's like they still have Hashimoto's. Now, the interesting thing about Hashimoto's, and I agree, again, just to reiterate, I I would say it's underdiagnosed. And and it's important because it changes the course of treatment. And those of you that have never heard of naltrexone for any immune issue, I strongly recommend that you go to the do an internet search on low dose naltrexone. Uh, naltrexone is an opiate antagonist that's used in higher doses in opiate addiction, but in low doses, it modulates the immune system in a very positive manner. And so I use it in cancer patients, uh, chronic, chronic illness patients, autoimmune patients, uh, a lot of people. And there's a lot of information on off-label use of naltrexone, and it's really a blessing uh, among, among us. It really is. Um, so interesting to note that in some people, not all people, when Hashimoto's starts for whatever reason, your immune system goes nuts and starts attacking your thyroid, you, you can have symptoms of Graves disease because 
the antibodies attack the thyroid, you get a dumping syndrome of thyroid hormone into the blood and you feel like you're coming out of your skin because you're just like, what is this? I'm jittery. I feel like I drank four monster drinks and I didn't drink any monster drinks. Um, and then all of a sudden the next day you feel, oh my gosh, I can't even get my sorry butt out of bed. I feel blah. I feel horrible. So that happens in certain individuals and it can be super frustrating for them because it's like, what is going on here? First you say I have a hypothyroidism, but then I have symptoms of hyperthyroidism. And then I have symptoms of hypothyroidism. Like what the heck is happening to me? Mm-hmm. And it's like most of these individuals, not all, but most, like I would in my practice, 95 plus percent of them over time will even out into hypothyroidism. And they're, it's pretty easy to, to, in most cases to treat. Um, and counterintuitively, when someone is experiencing those type of symptoms, I will put them on thyroid medication. Uh, depending and, and I, it, depending on what medication they need, I have to figure that out first. Are they mm-hmm. overconverting to reverse T3 and all that? And and people will say, but wait a minute, you're giving me a hormone that I'm occasionally producing way too much of. So why are you doing that? And it's like, think of it this way. If I were to give you a measured amount of hormone, that's going to tell any gland to quiet down. So if I give you testosterone, your testes are going to not be stimulated. If I give you thyroid, then usually your thyroid is not going to be stimulated and the amount that you produce comes down, right? So that leaves the variable of when you get the dumping syndrome, which we can't do too much about, but I can uh, address the variability of how much you're producing at any given time. So I give you a lower dose until you get beyond the up, down, up, down symptoms, which usually last less than a year-ish for most people. And then I can actually just treat you as a hypothyroid patient with Hashimoto's, put you on I've already put you on low dose naltrexone and gotten you away from, you know, wheat and dairy and processed foods and do all the stuff that Jared and I talk about nutritionally, mm-hmm. which affects your immune system. Okay. So then any idea uh, what percentage uh, of patients may be dealing that, that are dealing with hypothyroid symptoms uh, actually have Hashimoto's? You know, I, I shouldn't even venture a guess because as soon as I put a number out there, I'm going to be wrong. (laughs) Um, And, and I, and I, you know, if, if you're talking about my patient population, I can speak to that. I would say, and and it's a guess because I have a lot of people with Hashimoto's, but I would, I would guess 15 to 20% of people with hypothyroidism have, at least in my practice, I've also got Hashimoto's and, and I've got them on L, you know, low dose naltrexone and, I, I try and talk about a modern wheat and all that. Interesting. Okay. All right. So let's talk about some other factors. Uh, you know, we've talked about, obviously, the blood tests. We've talked about the medications that might be uh, prescribed. Uh, what are the other things that people can uh, look at uh, in, their, in their life, in their body, that might be influencing their thyroid to behave badly, we'll say? Uh, what, what can we talk about there? <laughs> well, at the very top of the list is stress. Okay. okay. I mean, you know, and I'm not going to go into that again, but 
also dietary intake is incredibly important and nutrient. Um, you know, we, we all know that our soil is selenium depend, uh, deficient. Uh, so people should be supplementing, in my opinion, with selenium. Uh, a lot of people want to take a little iodine, which is great. Some people want to take a lot of iodine uh, because there's a movement out there, this huge iodine movement. And I have been looking into it for the last couple of years, Jared. Show me the scientific literature that supports high-dose iodine because I haven't found it. And and f- fair, fair point, I probably haven't looked for two years, so maybe there's something out there now. But, you know, within the past five years, I, I did a relatively deep dive into this, and I totally support iodine supplementation, but not the high dose. So I, I think selenium uh, is one of those uh, – supplements that you can take too little of or too much you can take too much selenium uh iron is the same way uh and i believe iodine is the same way but you know we're we're thinking uh and 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 if you not to take your listeners time but weston childs does a really good job in one of his videos about like for example why why is why is what are the conditions under which someone would overconvert to reverse T3? And what are the conditions under which somebody would suffer from hypothyroidism? And it isn't just stress, it's also nutrient depletion, and it's the way that we eat. Where I draw the line, personally, as a physician, is because you will, you can read online how overconsumption of uh, the, the um, you know, like, what we call baby kebabages, you know, Brussels sprouts and uh, broccoli and, you know, the all cruciferous vegetables, the, the, cruciferous vegetables, mm-hmm. the overconsumption of that reduces uh, thyroid function. And, and I would say, well, okay, that's a fair assessment. Um, I think you can find evidence in the medical literature where it's actually true. But if I'm going to weigh the benefits and risks of cruciferous vegetables, and thyroid function, I'm going to say, eat your freaking broccoli, eat your Brussels sprouts. I mean, they're, those particular foods are so beneficial to your ability to detox in your liver mm-hmm. that, you know, okay, so you, so it takes a little bit away from your thyroid. I'm going to up your thyroid dose. Big deal, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it gets, but, but I, I, I've had, a, especially in the past five years, six years, I've had a lot of not only patients, but I've had like certain labs call me and say, hey, you know, you know, we, we measure uh, iodine levels and we're, we're finding that the higher the iodine level, the more benefit there is. And it's like, as I look into it, it's like, wait a minute, where's the beef? Like, where's, where's the random randomized controlled trials here? Where's the, you know, where's the actual evidence that what you're suggesting is helpful for individuals is actually helpful? Maybe one of your reader, readers will find it and send it to me, but I haven't found it yet. So until I see that overconsumption of iodine is has been proven to be beneficial, I just tell people, look, Lugol solution, 12.5 milligrams a day or whatever, you know, a couple of drops or, you know, eat some seaweed, you know, I mean, knock yourself out, but don't, don't be drinking the freaking bottle. 
and, mm-hmm. and taken, you know, thousands and thousands because I just I just don't see the benefit. Well, it's an interesting thing because there are people, you know, largely anyway, I'll say that there's kind of two sides of this aisle, almost like a political thing where there's kind of, you know, uh, typically trained doctors that are following standards of care that are set up by HMOs and uh, medical organizations. And then we have the more naturopathic, holistic, uh, you know, uh, DO uh, type approach, you know, a, a lot of different practitioners that are more on the functional medicine side of things. But what I find pretty interesting, uh, Dr. Cameron, is that on the functional medicine side of things, there is a, a very big debate, it seems, about iodine. There uh, is. Now, over on the, the other side, they don't even talk about iodine for the most part. <laughs> and they say, well, you get enough in salt, whatever. But on the naturopathic side, there's a big debate. And I've talked to some people or, or I should say listened to some people uh, in my research that would say, absolutely, high-dose iodine, uh, we know it works, this is how it works, and they, they're compelling. And then I've talked to people like yourself who I've, well, I trust my own health with you and your prescribing habits and everything else, um, who say, well, yes, iodine, but let's be cautious with that. I tend to err on the side of caution when it comes to medicine anyway, whether it's natural or synthetic, you know, let's not overdo any of these things. So just in terms of my philosophy, I guess I tend to lean that way. But I think, and I'm curious what you think, I think over the next five or 10 years, we're going to learn a lot about iodine because there is such a strong debate and somebody's going to be maybe wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking, and I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to that because I don't mind being wrong. I mean, I, I don't mind being wrong at all, but like you, I'm, I'm a little more cautious until I see the proof in the pudding. Right. Yeah. So if, if like I'm, I'm putting it out there to anybody that's listening to me, I mean, if you can, if you have some compelling articles or you have some compelling, uh, you know, new scientific evidence, I am totally willing to read it and see because I honestly it's been about two years since since I you know have really done a deep dive into it uh, I won't name them but there's two labs that were approaching me probably six seven years ago ish and uh, they they love they 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 study levels of iodine and these PhDs that run these labs were they had compelling arguments and they were trying to convince me to kind of come over to their side and start using their services mm-hmm. and then start treating with the products that they made. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm willing to listen to you for sure. And, and I did. And I got to know uh, one of the owners of one of the companies, you know, pretty good. We'd had a number of conversations over the phone. Um, but, but I couldn't find, you know, the evidence that I found was coming out of his lab and he's selling a product. Right. And so I'm going, okay, well, that's great. Um, looks good on paper, but but I can't find independent confirmation. I can't find randomized controlled trials. I, I I'm not I'm not finding this. What I'm finding is um, anecdotal evidence, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not saying anecdotal evidence is not important. It is right. So like anecdotal evidence is is like asking your a person how they feel when they're when you give them a thyroid medication. You know. Right. Right. Um, but but because I do so much teaching to my patients, you know, they're 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 tooled up to give me, you know, what I consider truthful answers. Right. Sure. So if they, they feel like crap, I expect them to tell me if they if their energy is up and they're feeling better and their spouses are noticing it. I expect them to tell me, um, you know, but that's a subjective response. So I get that anecdotal evidence can be very compelling and important. 
But when it comes to something like, like, you know, take selenium, for example, we have, there's evidence in the scientific literature that you can take too much selenium yeah. and that it's, that it's not real great for you. But there's also evidence that if you have too little, that's not very great for you. So it's those, you know, same thing with iron, right? And like we mentioned, so I'm, for me, at this point in time, until you or some of your listeners can send me more compelling data, I'm still going to be conservative for iodine until such time as I, I see, you know, data that suggests that, oh, no, I'm higher, higher dosage is looking good. So I'm my mind's open, but I don't want to be treating a patient based on something I'm not real comfortable with yet. Sure. Yeah, that makes makes sense. Uh, okay, so then we have about a minute left, and and I know I'm going to get this question because you've you've uh, hit this, but you haven't quite given us a target. So with selenium, with iodine, what do you typically suggest in terms of a dose for um, someone that knows that they're dealing with low thyroid? Uh, iodine, it's like it depends on how much kelp you eat. Like my oldest son loves. Uh, Seaweed, I, mm-hmm. I don't know where he got that. So he, he's eating it all the time just because he likes it. Um, but, I, you know, Lugol solution or whatever, you know, 12.5 a day. Okay. Uh, and that's either a tablet or, you know, like a, a squish the dropper and put it under your tongue. Yeah, and we um, have that at Vitality and there's that's the that, potency we have. There's that old school technique of putting some on your skin and seeing how fast it disappears. You can share that with your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that can guide, be a guideline. Selenium is is different because i mean my patient's dietary habits are all over the map so and i'm just this is the dirt bag basics the more processed food somebody eats like the more they eat at mcdonald's or they eat at you know subway or whatever um the more i want them taken up, up to the label suggested amount. Um, I might, if they're sick, just like vitamin D, like you and I have talked about vitamin D3, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even blink an eye at putting somebody on 100,000 units for a week or two if, if they've got bad, sick COVID or pneumonia or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they'll taper back down to, to 10,000 units, right, with K. Mm-hmm. Same thing with selenium. If they're bad, sick, I'm going to say, double, triple your dose for the next week. You know, whatever it says on the bottle, quadruple it for a week. And then as you start getting better, go down to just like labeled directions. All right. Okay, excellent. Well, we have definitely run out of time if we're going to squeeze this onto the radio. Uh, this, uh, I, again, fascinating conversation. I uh, really look forward to the next one we get to have. I uh, don't know what that'll be on yet, but we'll figure something out. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you certainly can share a, a lot of this uh, wisdom of 26 years of practice doing things I'll say outside the box, which I very much appreciate. (laughs) Boy, howdy. All right. Dr. Todd Cameron from Cameron Wellness uh, in Mill Creek, Utah. Uh, We'll have contact information for him. There is the possibility uh, for his uh, to to get his services if you are outside of the state of Utah. Uh, If you call the number, they can explain what that looks like. And like I say, we'll have all the contact information uh, in the show description of the podcast. You can also call us at Vitality if you have questions, 801 292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or visit us at vitalitynutrition.com. Dr. Cameron, thank you so much for your time today on Vitality Radio. Hey, thanks, Jared. Talk to you soon. 
And for you listening, thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.